Ryan Hakes as he comes to minister in the Word. God bless you, Ryan, as you come with your amazing light. Thanks, Pastor Hal. It is an amazing light, and uh, I'm going to show that to you in a minute. I love this thing. It's, um, it's my new toy. I rented it for the weekend, and um, it's, it's pretty cool. I love to do photography, and, and I, I, I'm not necessarily good at it, but the people that uh, I do it for, they're convinced. So um, I, I found the secret to good photography. Do you know what it is? Take pictures of beautiful people. So I recently uh, shot Asha Kojul's wedding, and then uh, a week before that, uh, a little bit before that, uh, I shot our very own Cindy Short's wedding, but it's not Cindy Short anymore, and I'm not even going to attempt her new last name. So, um, uh, And I got all these compliments on the photography, and uh, I figured it out. I'm not a good photographer. I just take pictures of pretty blonde women, and people like the photos. But uh, this helps. And, uh, boy, if you want to feel old, uh, Asha... Kojo, and now Asha Martin, is, is now married and on her way to a honeymoon. How many of you remember Asha as like a little teeny baby? I know, she was like in high school when I started here, so thanks a lot, Asha. Um, but this is the trick, this is the trick. Uh, uh, a cinematographer taught me this years ago when I was in a, a film class, and he said, look, it's, it's not the camera, it's the light. And so he said, it's the light that, that makes all the difference. And this is, uh, it's called a flash. And uh, it basically works real simply, the light shoots out of it. And, uh, and on the top, what looks like a piece of Tupperware is a, a diffuser. And um, true, uh, how many of you guys are like into cameras and stuff? Like, you like cameras? Okay, so you understand what I mean when I say everything about cameras is expensive. This piece of Tupperware is $100, which I rented it, I didn't buy it. Um, and, uh, and then it, it just kind of diffuses the light. All right, ready? We're gonna we're gonna do um, we're gonna do optical science this morning. Are you ready? Everybody, look at the light. Stare at it. Stare at it. You all staring at it? Okay, ready? Did it shoot? Did it? Okay. Now, were you staring at it? If you were close enough and you you fired it off, I'm I'm being careful because it's like right here. But like, if you're close enough and you close your eyes. Can you see like a little ball, a little, little dot, a little something? And then if I take the diffuser off, it's even stronger. Are you ready? ready? Oh, I know. It's nasty. I got it on full power. So, so what is that called? That is called an after image. An after image is your brain dealing with what happens? Your, your, your brain is actually the thing that sees. Your eyeballs, they just kind of suck up information, but it's your brain that does the seeing. It's, it's your brain that does the processing. And, and this morning, I, I, I've titled this message, The After Image of Jesus. Clever, right? And, and what I want to do is I want to talk a bit about after images before we get into the, the, the word. And uh, um, you can turn in your Bibles to Luke 24. If, uh, if you brought your Bible um, or your phone or uh, however you, you uh, like to read the Bible, I highly recommend it. Um, I tried for the last four and a half years, I've been here to get the youth to bring paper Bibles. No can do. So um, we just kind of deal with the fact that they're going to bring it on their phones, and I'm cool with that. And so uh, we, we actually will do online highlighting and stuff like that. It's, it's actually kind of neat. But uh, um, Luke 24, and we're going to start at verse 13. But show that picture, if you can, of the American flag. Okay, everybody see the American flag? Okay, here, bring down the lights. Bring, kill the lights. Kill the lights. Kill all the lights real quick. They don't need to see me. Very nice. Nice fade. All right. What do you notice about this flag? I'm going to count to 10, okay? And I want you just to stare at the bottom rightmost star. Are you ready? You probably have done this uh, optical illusion before. And uh, I don't know how far away it doesn't work, but stare at it. Are you staring at it? All right, ready? 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, Four, three, two, one. Okay, stare at the white wall or a white piece of paper or away. Do you see the after image? No, it didn't work. Oh, okay, maybe you're predisposed to a different kind of flag. Let's try the next one. 
Okay, try this one. Are you ready? Stare it, stare it right at the middle. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six. Don't move your eyes. Five, four, three, two, one. Okay, look away. Do you see it now? Okay, what color is that flag? And that is the flag of? Italy. Very good. I knew it would work with somebody. Okay, never mind. Okay, you know, and, and, and you, you may have even seen this one. How about this one? You ever seen this one? All right, try it again. Try it again. And these projectors aren't super bright. We need to probably get new ones. But, like, stare at the, the three or four dots in the center of the picture for a couple of seconds. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Okay, look away. What do you see? Hooray! All right, you've been tricked. Your brain has been tricked into seeing Jesus. Uh, what looks like a little blobby goop, but somehow, you can bring the lights up, somehow it produces an after image. And, and your brain gets used to, your brain gets used to normal, right? So if I held this up, what color is this piece of paper? How do you know that? You don't really. Your brain is telling you. It's white. In fact, it's uh, bright red. You just didn't know. No, it is white. But your brain isn't lying to you. In fact, if your brain is lying to you, it's, it's a problem, right? How many of you have some trouble with different colors? And you're like, yeah, you know, the, the reds and the, you know, and the... Uh, how many of you just told that to the police when you got pulled over for running the red light? You're like, oh, I'm colorblind, I swear. You know? uh, so there's this after-image effect that happens because your brain is trying to make normal. And when you look at something a little abnormal, like funny colors on the American flag or the Italian flag or, or reversed black and white on the uh, face of Jesus, and then you look away, your brain is like, no, 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 that wall is reverse. Check it out. And then you have this after image. The things that we stare at, the things that press our attention, the things that overcome uh, our vision produce after images. The reason that this thing, I won't, I won't hurt your retinas anymore, the, the reason that this produces that little purple blob in the center of your vision is, is because it is resetting what is normal. It, does that make sense? Your, your brain is trying to process, oh, 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 super bright. You, you go outside from a, a, a dark room into broad sunlight, and your brain has to be like, Hold on a second. Okay? It's the after image. In fact, let's talk about the after image of Jesus. In Luke 24, 13, I'm going to start reading. I'm reading from the New International Version, and I'm going to read a chunk of text all the way down to 35, so bear with me. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. Everybody say, Emmaus! It's a fun town. I like that. About seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. All right, Bible scholars, what had happened by the end of Luke? Does anybody know? Death and resurrection. And at this point, it just seemed like the first part, not the latter. Just death. So they're talking about everything that had happened. These things. And, and Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, Hey, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, and their faces were downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus goes, what things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more? It is the third day since all this took place. Okay, so third day is true death in the Jewish sense because people could go comatose and, and they, they would, the third day they knew that person was dead. That's important to them. 
In addition, verse 22, some of our women amazed us. I've used this verse before. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and, and, and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. These guys are just certain of this. 25, he said to them, how foolish are you? And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. 26, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning who? Himself. Isn't that great? Is Jesus teaching about Jesus? From Jesus by Jesus. 28, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, hey, 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 stay with us. It's nearly evening, the day's almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Last couple of verses, 30. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Then their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Oh, wow. Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven. Who were the eleven? The disciples. And those with them assembled together and saying, Hey, it's true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Heavenly Father, we just ask today that you would clear the path, move stuff out of the road, fallen limbs of stress, the, the junkyard stuff in the middle of the road from just struggling to get the kids to church this morning. A fight we may have had earlier this week. Everything, God, that would hinder us from hearing you and focusing on the word of God right now. God, I pray you even remove me. If you cannot speak in spite of, or it, through me, speak in spite of me. Get us to a place where you break bread in front of us and your after image stays. In Jesus' name, amen. We let the gospel do the heavy lifting. That's what we do. We're followers of Jesus. We, we, we lift people up. Now, I went on a missions trip. My first missions trip was to Miami. And, uh, and so I went to Miami in college. And I was 18. And we got on a bus. And they drove us to what at that time was high mall technology, an outdoor mall like Partridge Creek. We had never seen anything like it. We were all expressly impressed. And uh, everybody said, all right, get out, go save people. That was stressful. And so I'm like, okay, you know, I want to I be a pastor. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go save people. So I go out, and I'm like, that save people. Except for here's a problem. And uh, um, I don't mean this in a, in a rude way to people who love evangelism, okay? When people are buying underwear at Express, they don't want to talk about Jesus. I, I know, I know, I know. They're dying and going to hell. Are they crazy? It's underwear, bro, you know. But there is this moment where there's a good time to talk about important things and a bad time. And the express for men, and I tried to talk, and it was about Jesus, and the guy's like, bruh, I'm just here to buy some underwear. And I said to myself, you know, that makes sense. I agree with this. And I walked away. Careful to not make eye contact with the man buying underwear in Express for Men. And I thought to myself, oh no, I stink at this. I can't lead people to Jesus. I'll be a terrible pastor. This is awful. And I went to Starbucks and I got a coffee and I sat down, feeling very terrible. 
two friends walked by and they're like, hey, Ryan, how's it going, brother? And I'm like, great, sister and brother, how are you? And they're like, great, we just led 14 people to Christ. And you're like, oh, yeah, I'm just taking a breather, you know, all that gospelizing. I had to get some more caffeine. And they're like, okay, well, see ya, you know. And, and I just felt terrible that I wasn't leading people to Jesus. And, and this guy sits down across from me and and I said, hey, man, how you doing? And, and we just struck up a conversation, and he was a philosophy major from the University of Miami. And I'm like, I'm going to talk to him about Jesus. <laughs> you know, 18 years old, a, uh, under, uh, a, a postgraduate philosophy major. No problem. This atheist destroyed me. I don't even think I was a Christian at the end of that coffee, right? I was just like... <laughs> Well, that really does make a lot of sense, you know? And he's like, well, Descartes says this. And you're like, uh-huh. Soren Kierkegaard said this. And he's like quoting passages from like the Communist Manifesto. And I'm just like, I didn't know these people were real, you know? And then like, he's just like, here's your religion, you know? And he's like, it's, a, it's built on a throne of lies. And I'm like, uh-huh. but Jesus loves you. And he's like, no, he doesn't, you know? And I'm like, well... Oh, I need more creams, you know? And I'm like, total failure. Total failure. We get back on the bus, and everybody's like, yeehaw, you know? You got them for the Lord. And I'm like, oh, me too, you know? And I called my dad, and I'm not, I'm not afraid to admit, I was like bummed, right? And I'm like, dad, you know? Dad, you know? And, and, and I said, what? I stink at this, you know? And he goes, he goes, oh, son. He's like, you got it all wrong. You know, dads are good like that. He goes, yeah. He's laughing, and I'm like, I'm crying. He's like, you know, it's, it's dad prerogative. You know, you see tears, you laugh. And he, he goes, he goes, son, you didn't die on a cross for nobody. And it hit me. <laughs> you know, my friends who were on the bus and, you know, they had a belt full of notches, you know, next to their Christian cowboy guns. They, like, don't get those. They don't, like, you know, you, ever, you heard preachers say this? You can't take the money with you. The only thing you can take to heaven is souls. You know, and you're like, that makes sense. Yeah, you can take I, No. Like, no. Like, Jesus is like, no. Me. Not you, me. I did all of the, you know, not you. You get like the, and I did the, and not you. I want the credit. And that's not like selfish when God himself comes down uh, and condescends to our level. That's like not selfish for him to do that. It's amazing. It's, it's the reverse of selfish. And so Jesus is not in the business of sharing the glory of salvation with us in the sense that we don't get to take credit for souls. Literally, the only thing you can take with you when you get to heaven is the afterimage of Jesus when he blinds you with his light. That's it. The only thing you get to take with you is the experience of Jesus in your life. That's it. And I'm like okay with just Jesus in my life. And if you're okay with that, you will find your contentment. You will, you will find your peace. And these guys are walking with Jesus. Imagine this. I mean, okay, so like we read the Bible, and I don't know about you, I, I, the little movie plays, right? And you're watching it, and you kind of put yourself in their, in their you know, life, and you're like, oh, wow, this is, uh, you know, Cleopas, you're so, you're so dumb, right? And you're just like, you miss Jesus. Didn't you know he has blue eyes? In fact, if you really pay attention, one of his eyes is green, the other is blue. Remember that, Jesus? No? You don't remember that Jesus? It's like a 1970s movie. That was my favorite Jesus. Right? Long, flowy hair. He's basically like a white guy, even though he's, you know, Jewish. But, you know, we made him a white guy with the beard and all that. And, um, and he's gorgeous, right? I mean, I know the Bible says he wasn't, but we know. We know. We know he was gorgeous, right? And, and, and so, so you, you've got this guy. How did you miss him? Are you crazy? In fact, not only did they fail to recognize Jesus, the human walks about 
three miles an hour. They walk seven miles. Do the math. I don't know. I'm a youth pastor. I think that's like 97 hours. And, and, and so they walked with him two and a half hours. And then he totally unpacks the, the, the scriptures. And he's like, well, you know, and Moses, and then here's all the prophets, and, and here's all the prophecies. I mean, you knew that Jesus was like laying it out. It's odd that these people who walked with Christ did not recognize. How could they not recognize his voice, his face? Seven miles stretch, and, and he's unveiling the mastery of God's plan. And the funny thing is, is when he comes up to him, hey, what you guys talking about? And this was a, a common thing to kind of come together and walk together, safety against bandits and, and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and he comes up to them, and what are they talking about? They're talking about him. They're having a theological conversation. In fact, this week, this week, there is a convention, okay? And Julie and I tried to go to the Detroit Comic Convention, and there was 50,000 people in one hotel, and we just turned around and we noped out of there. We're like, ah, uh -huh, let's take the kids to Chuck E. Cheese. And so um, there is the biggest one in San Diego this week, right? And so all of these, dare I say it, nerds, they'd like that name, you know, all these nerds get together and they all argue and they all discuss and dissect fake things, okay? What do I mean by that? So it's a comic convention. I mean, um, I, I hate to break this to you, Superman isn't real, okay? There's no Krypton. We, we, we're okay. I know somebody's like, what? what? You know? He's real in my heart, you know. Okay, so right now there's a big movie, Superman versus Batman, right? Like that makes sense, right? Because Batman has a rubber suit and Superman came from another planet, right? Okay, but like, so there's this big discussion. Could Superman and Batman fight and who would win? And they're having the, oh, oh, it's, 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 it's violent online. All these people are like, no way, Batman's best. No way, Superman's best. He has laser eyes, you know, and all this stuff. And they're talking about these people as if they're real. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Superman is not real. Batman is not real. I think we're all in agreement with that, right? So the argument doesn't really matter or exist, right? We do understand it's just a fictional argument. And yet at the same time, think of this. They're having an argument about Jesus. They're having a theological argument. But it doesn't really matter. A theological argument doesn't really matter if God's not real. Does that make sense? You can argue all day, pre-trip, post-trip, mid-trip. But if Jesus isn't coming back, it's no more real, and it's no more valid than who could win between Batman and Superman. Unless Jesus draws near, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your time if you're arguing theological points that Jesus doesn't care about. You're wasting your time if, you're, if you're, you're getting in this theological nerd fight. And so that's what these guys were doing. They're like, nuts, you know? And I thought when he said this and these things put together, but Jesus wasn't real in their mind. He wasn't God in their mind. And so Jesus was like, what? In fact, Jesus has to continually draw near in all of our lives. There was an old praise song, I think Delirious or one of those wrote it, and, and the, the, the lyrics always bugged me. I mean, you, okay, so if you, were, um, if you were a follower of Christ in the 70s and 80s, there was an old song that said, blow the trumpet to Zion, and we're like, hooray! But, you know, that was like a really theological nightmare song, right? You don't want to blow the trumpet to Zion because, you know, the desolation is happening and the temple's being destroyed, and we'd all be like, blow the trumpet to Zion! And people who knew the Bible were like, probably shouldn't, you know? So, so in the 90s, there was a song that we all loved in high school. We were like, yeah! You know, it was called I Found Jesus. Remember that song? I Found Jesus. That's as much as I'm ever going to sing, by the way. And, and then we would sing I Found Jesus. And we just sing it. Hooray! I Found Jesus. But like we didn't. You know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to be like Comic Con nerdy and say, no, here, you know. No, you literally did not find Jesus. He found. He found me. Like, I did not find Jesus. 
I'm so fortunate to have been born into a pastor's home, but at the end of the day, that didn't even find Jesus for me. I'm fortunate to have a mom and a dad who both love Jesus, and they're like, Jesus loves you, and at five years old, I'm like, hooray, Jesus loves me. But that doesn't like, you know, it doesn't seal the deal until Jesus finds me. Now at five years old, that's why we believe in children's ministry, Jesus really did find me. I started crying in a pew in the middle of a sermon. Uh, it had nothing to do with anything. I don't even remember it. And I, all of a sudden, mom's like, is Jesus working on your heart? You know how moms are. And I'm like, <laughs> you know. And she's like, okay, let's pray the sinner's prayer. And we did. And it was real. And, and, and Jesus found me. It, it wasn't an altar call. It wasn't related to the, the message at all. I just, you know. God must draw near. God must draw near in you. God must draw near in me. God, God must draw near in Lakeside. God must draw near in the Lakeside Student Nation and in Edify and, and the kids' ministry. God must draw near or this, all of this is just wood and plaster and carpet. It's nothing to say we're a Christian family if God hasn't drawn into it. Does that make sense? And what happens is, is they, these guys see him, and he said, hey, what are you guys talking, talking about? And they invited them in, him in. But they could have said, no, uh-uh. Look, look, Jesus look-alike. We're talking about the real Jesus, and you can back off. You just walk by yourself. It could have happened. In fact, it's interesting. Cleopas and his band of buddies, they're like movie extras. They're not even interesting characters in the sense that we don't hear from them again. Cleopas doesn't write a gospel. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't, you know, he, he, he doesn't go start a missionary program. We, we, we don't have any churches named, you know, Cleopas Assembly of God. Unless there's like a Cleopas Tennessee somewhere, I don't know. But like, we don't, we don't have anything on Cleopas. We got nothing on him. And still there's this idea that God is saying, look, I'll draw near to you. I draw near to you. You don't have to be this big Christian rock star. You just do your thing, and I'll draw near to you. And when he does, when Jesus draws near, everything changes. You see, they're, 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 they claim that they were disciples, but who are disciples really? I know, I know, I know it uh, growing up, and, and uh, uh, I, I know even in our Christian circles today, we know what a disciple is. A disciple is somebody who's memorized scripture, and whenever anybody has any kind of question, they can fire it in our face like a shotgun blast, right? That's what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who has the word written on their heart, right? And at any moment, you're like, man, the sky looks funny. Red sky at night, sailor's delight, you know? And you're like, Wow. That's pretty Christian. You know what I mean? You know, that, that's, that's a Christian. That's a Christian. And they're like, man, that, that brat is going crazy in Walmart, man. I, I can't believe that little kid. And then, then they turn around and like, spare the rod, spoil the child. And you're like, yeah. That's true. Oh, man, I got a tear on my jacket. A stitch in time saves nine. Wait, is that in the Bible? Oh, in the back. <laughs> oh, man, I, I forgot my mallet. That's okay. Money is the root of all evil. All evil! And besides, go wash your hands because cleanliness is next to godliness. But isn't that, the, isn't that the, the way it is? All of which, by the way, are not in the Bible. Those are, those are all not in the Bible. There are, there are you know, parts of it. that. Uh, but we Americans, we love that. We love that. Hey, you want to play a game? Hey, I'm a youth pastor. i got to keep it rolling, okay? You know what I mean? I'm used to them, like, talking back, throwing their cell phones and that kind of stuff. You guys are, like, really well behaved, you know? I haven't had to send Frank Panolina after any of you. This is really nice. Uh, uh, okay, okay. Kara, you want to play a game? All right. So if you have, how many have teenagers? How many of you have seen a teenager before? Okay, they're into the show called The Hunger Games. Where are my Hunger Games fans at? 
Oh, teenagers, it's okay. The youth pastor's preaching. You can cheer for PETA. Okay, here's the deal. We're going to play a game, and we played this on Wednesday, and don't cheat because we played this on Wednesday. So this is, where, who's read The Hunger Games, seen the movies? Who's ever been hungry? Okay, all right. It's funny because uh, we, we talk about in, in youth all the time, like, you got to know your Bible. you got to know your Bible. So we found a game, and it's just five quick slides. This is PETA, which is one of the, like, super sappy characters in the movie, and he has all of these, like, esoteric quotations the entire time, and, uh, uh, and Proverbs. So your job is to figure out PETA or Proverbs. And I know, I know, he's named after a bread. Isn't that funny? Okay, here's, here's a better one. He's a baker in the movie. Okay, PETA or Proverbs? Here you go, are you ready? First one, destroying things is much easier than making them. Is that a proverb? And again, it could be a, you know, a, a softer translation, a more conversational translation. PETA or Proverbs, what do you think? PETA. All right, is it PETA? It's PETA, very good. Give yourselves a hand. All right, good, good, good. Do not stop from doing good when it is in your power to act. Proverbs. Is it Proverbs? It is. Give yourselves another hand. All right. Great job. How about let me eat some of that red stuff because I'm exhausted. PETA. Oh, Proverbs. Oh, that's embarrassing. I can't believe you guys didn't know that. You must not be discipled. Okay, for there to be betrayal, there would have to have been trust first. Okay, a little mix, a little mix. Now you're gun shy, right? Because like, we got that last one wrong. <laughs> okay. PETA. Very good for those of you that silently murmured PETA, but you weren't sure. Good job. All right, last one. It is better to live alone in the desert than with a crabby, complaining wife. <laughs> Man, you should not have yelled that. That was, it was a bad move. I mean, it's not Mother's Day or anything, but really, seriously. Proverbs, very good. Give yourselves a hand. Good job. All things work together for good, right? Not in the Bible. Blessed and highly favored. Paul said that, right? Not in the Bible. God moves in mysterious ways. Not in the Bible. Pride cometh, because you got to, you know, do the F, cometh before the fall falleth. <laughs> like not in the Bible. Now, these ideas, you know, they, they, they are uh, they're pigeon versions. Some are truncated, you know. Uh, the money is not the root of all evil. The love of money, okay, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of you, you, you Bible hands, you're like, yeah, I know that. Yeah, so Jesus shows up and he's like, what are you guys talking about? And they tell him what they're talking about. And instead of screaming scripture and little tidbits and, you know, uh, cleanliness is next to godliness, thanks Benjamin Franklin, also not an author in the Bible, uh, he listens. He asks questions. And you know what? I think at a certain degree. My, my um, professor of missions told me something, because honestly, I'm not going to lie to you, I kind of stink at leading people one-on-one -on -one to Jesus, like sealing the deal. Isn't that terrible for a pastor? I mean, you went to like Bible school for this. I know, I just, I stink at it. I try all the time, and, and I just can't seal the deal all the time, and you know, maybe I should take an evangelism explosion course. I don't know, but uh, you know what I found? I found a verse that I just love. And it talks about gardening. My missions professor showed it to me. He said, you know, you might not be the reaper. You, you might not be the collecting guy. You might not be the, the seedling guy. You, you might be the fertilizing guy. And I said, I, I know what fertilizer is made of. I can handle that. You might be the watering guy. Yeah, you, you, you might be the weeding guy. You, you, or, or gal. You know, you can figure that out. Here's the idea. You know, I love the idea that Jesus gets all the credit. You know why? Because he also takes all the blame off of me. You know what I'm saying? 
We get to this, we get to this place in our lives where we're so stressed out. My, my youth pastor was like this. If you're not reading your Bible, he said this one time, and I, my heart exploded, smoke came out of my ears. If you're not reading your Bible an hour every day and praying at least two to three hours every day, you're not a discipled Christian. And he jumped right at that moment, and I was like, oh, no. I'm 14, right? Whatever he says is true. And I'm like, this is so not good. This is, like, bad. And, and you know... I do tell the young adults and the youth to read their Bible. I, I, I tell them to do these things, but I think the most important thing is that I have a Savior who listens to me when I ask questions, who, who gives me the info when I ask for it. He listens to the sadness. You see, as Christians, we can be so good at monologues, can't we? We can be so good at, well, I just feel this, and this is what's going on in your life, and there's sin, brother, and you know all this kind of stuff, and we're like, oh, oh okay. You know, we're just pumping it out there. But Jesus engages these guys by listening to them. He has the answers. Like, we do get that. Jesus, like, understands all of the answers, right? And at a certain point, he does just unleash on them and say, Hey, uh, guys, let me help you out here. But how does Jesus use the Bible? How does Jesus use the Bible? You know, one of the things I, I think is, is kind of tough is when people say, this is an instruction book, you know, this, this is a how you do, and this is a how-to manual. And I'm like, you know what this book is? This book is salvation from Jesus by talking about Jesus. Everywhere I look in this book, I see Jesus. From Genesis to Exodus, all the way down, I see Jesus. And, and, and the salvation isn't so I can like not go to hell. I was talking to the youth and young adults on Wednesday. You know, if salvation is just about feeling good that I got car insurance on my soul, what a waste. But it's not. Salvation is daily. Salvation. The Bible says daily hang on your cross. Daily murder thyself. Put, put the sin and the flesh, the, the concarnate, you know, put it up on the cross and kill it. Every day, salvation. That's, that, that works for me. Because I just can't stay saved. It's like a lot of work. You know what I'm saying? But if I can trust Jesus to do it, oh, I like that. So what is he really talking about? When Jesus walks miles with them, when Jesus walks these miles with them, you have to ask, why? Why? Why Cleopas? Why his completely unnamed buddies? Why these guys? You know, I, I heard illustrations like, well, you got to be always putting the word out there. You, you always got to be telling people about Jesus. You know, somebody is Billy Graham's mother and all that kind of stuff, right? And you're like, that's true. Somebody is Billy Graham's mother. I understand biology. I get that. Somebody is Billy Graham's mother. But at a certain point, Jesus didn't die for big people. He didn't come to save big people. Who did he come to save? To seek and to save the lost. And at a certain point, oddly enough to say it, Billy Graham was lost. You know who else is lost? At four years old, Jack and Logan are little heathens. My kids, oh, they're not Christians. They, oh, those kids need to get saved. I pray every day for their salvation. It is so not happened yet. Pastor Randy, if you're watching the tape later on, get on them. Get them saved. But eventually, eventually Jesus will come for Jack. He won't stop being the little rascal that he is, you know. I didn't understand Dennis the Menace. I always thought it was a cute cartoon. I have begotten Dennis the Menace, right? Times two. So, uh, you know, I give full permission to the entire church to just, hey, quit it, you know, okay? They're pastor's kids, okay? They're going to be sneaking up to, like, sleep in the balcony somewhere. Just be like, hey, here they are, you know. I'm, I'm cool with that. Please help me parent. But Jesus walked miles with Cleopas. He didn't write a gospel, didn't start a church. You know why he chose them? I'll tell you why he chose them. For the same reason he chose you. Because your heart was good kindling. I am a terrible royal ranger. I don't do knots. I got my chop and cut card taken away so many times for throwing my pocket knife. It was terrible. 
But the worst part about being a Royal Ranger for me was starting fires. I stink at starting fires. And do you know why? Because I want a huge fire and I want it now. I always started fires with logs. Is that how you start fires? No, you start fires by pouring diesel on top of logs. Everyone knows that. Good grief, I'm from the south, people. You guys, you're like, I'm going to shave this pine cone until we get kindling, and then I will add this twig with tweezers, and I will make this perfect beer. You know what's great at that? Like uh, Chris Felbush, right? He comes out, and it's like this perfect Indian teepee fire. Amazing. And I'm like, we should put something hot on top, you know? I just, gasoline, you know? Don't recommend it. Don't do it, guys. But like, I know we can't jump into logs. But every youth and young adult I work with, they want to jump to the logs. They're like, Ryan, people just aren't regrowing limbs when I pray for them. I don't know if I'm a Christian. Uh, let's talk about Jesus a bit. It, you, you can't jump the steps. Jesus picked these complete nobodies. Only one of them is named, but there was a number of them there. You know why he, he picked them? He picked them because they were kindling, because they would burn. Will your heart burn? Is your heart burning now? Was your heart burn a bowl when Jesus came to you? And is it still? One of the most important things I learned, and it is a tough lesson, is yes, Jesus came to seek and to save. But Jesus, if you watch Jesus, he didn't waste his time. What do I mean by that? This seems cold. This seems cold because we're, we're taught to persevere and to press through and all that stuff. Rich young ruler, different people come into his life and they're like, Hey, Jesus, yeah, I'll get some of that salvation, please. Hey, Jesus, let's, yeah, that's my New Yorker. Yeah, let's, let's, let's do some discipleship over here. Disciple me, man. You know, some of them are like, hey, I'll take a lot of that Holy Spirit action. Let's do it. Give me some of that, cast some demons out, great show, let's do it. Jesus was like not interested. You know, you, you can pour and pour and pour and pour. But at the end of the day, what is it that really keeps us going after somebody? Is it God's command? Is, is it the Holy Spirit? I've been praying for my aunt since I was four years old. Since I was four years old. And since I'm 54 years old, that's 50 years of prayer. I've been praying for her soul since I was four years old, and I have never felt the release to stop praying for her. So I still do. So I still do. I don't need a hand clap, which you weren't going to give, obviously. But like, here's the deal. Here, no, 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 no. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. I haven't been released. But do you know what? There are lots of people I'd rather pray for but than this recalcitrant soul who hates God. I hate that she hates God. And so I pray about that. I pray about my bad attitude about her. And I'm like, God, she stinks. Can I stop praying for her? And God's like, hmm, no. I don't know if it'll work. I so hope so. But my job is to be obedient, not to get notches on the belt. I'm not looking for Aunt Karen. I'm not walking around Partridge Creek going, one, two, three. Oh, you didn't. Okay, three, you know? My job is to be obedient. Your job is to be obedient. God never said, go into the, all the world and save people in the name of Jesus, collecting them into your space bag and come up to heaven and bring them to me. He just said, make disciples. Guess what has to happen before you become a disciple? The decision for Jesus. And guess whose job that is? Not yours. Relax. Relax about that. Be a person who is always looking for kindling. Be a person who's looking for fireproof material and saying, That's, that, that one's not going to burn. But this one, God, I see this, this little spark of ability to burn here. I'm, I'm going to pour my life into it. Why am I a youth pastor? Because teenagers burn. They 
burn. Oh, you guys burn. You don't think it. You're like, whatever. You know, but you are on fire. You're, you're, you're material that God can, at any moment, just boom, boom. And the whole world is changed. The after image of God is so easily placed on the retinas of young ones, children, youth, and young adults. I challenge you, become youth pastors. Quit your jobs and do my job. No, become youth pastors. Become, become people who seek to save the lost in Jesus' name and say, hey, that guy, that girl, I sense in him the Holy Spirit's moving and he has highlighted her, highlighted him. Listen, if the Holy Spirit is only good down here, then it's like not useful. The Holy Spirit has got to be useful on the road to Emmaus. The Holy Spirit has got to lead you. The Holy Spirit has got to push you in different directions. And you know what? You don't have to stress out about it. I wake up and I go, God, if you want to lead me to something today, do it. That'll be great. I'm happy for it. Kind of a funny story. We were over at John's wedding in California. And, um, and John's father uh, and I were talking. Uh, John's uh, father-in-law, his name is Terry, we were talking. And uh, it was after the wedding. And I said, man, you know, California is so cool. I really want to drive up the Pacific Coast Highway. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? There's like this road that just kind of, I, I always think it would be so cool if like Julie and I, found somebody to watch the boys for two months, and then we just drove up and down the Pacific Coast Highway and Skyped the boys, you know, every seven to 12 weeks. And, 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 and so uh, <clears throat> I just think that's so cool, right? And like, you know, the little roads and go camping and that kind of stuff. And I was telling them, I'm like, man, California is so cool. Um, I, I said, I'd love to do that. I'd love to, I'd love to drive the Pacific Coast Highway. He goes, oh, you totally should. Start up in... Um, uh, Big Sur, and come on down, and, and when you, you, know, you get down to our place, you, you can just stay with us uh, for a day or two. And I'm like, oh man, thanks, that'd be, that'd be really cool. And, and another guy who was another friend of mine was standing next to us, and, and he's not related or anything, and he's like, yeah, that'd be really cool. And I'm like, whoa, this is so happening right now, right? And he goes, yeah, I've always wanted to do the, the Big Sur. And, and you know, we, then we could, like, you know, my wife and I, we could end up at your place, too. And he was like, well, Ryan, call me. And I was like, wow, this is really awkward. This guy tried to invite himself to this other guy's house, you know? And I'm like, man, I, I, uh, he's asking for a sleepover here. This is really interesting. And, and I, I was really... Um, kind of embarrassed that like it was a very nice rejection but it was so totally a rejection like yeah don't come to my house man you know it was really great and, and so I'm like okay well see you later and uh, uh, it's it's funny so they they have to do something that I think is really important they're walking with Jesus do they recognize this Jesus at this point they've talked to him for hours hours at least He's gone through Moses, the prophets, talked all about Jesus. They are impressed. They still don't know it's Jesus. So they invite Jesus to a sleepover. They're like, hey, Jesus, we're having a slumber party. You got the full footy pajamas. Uh, we, you know, we got fondue. It's going to be a great time. Why don't you come hang out with us? And he's like, I will. In fact, it's great. I love this. Jesus kind of pretends like he's like, well, I got to go down here. Like as if he can't teleport, right? And like, you know, laser speed. And he's like, okay. You know, it's really great. Jesus kind of plays hard to get a little bit in this scenario. I love that. It just adds to the narrative. They had to insist. They're like, no, seriously, Jesus, come with us. Talk to us. Let's have dinner. We want to commune with you. And look, we're, we're so not Jesus, right? We can't read minds. We don't know who we're interacting with is going to be receptive to the gospel. Our job is to put it out there. Just put it out there. Just engage with these people. So he sits down and he has communion. Jesus sits with these low-level characters. So the first thing he does is he sits. The second thing is he takes, and he takes bread then he blesses that bread, 
And he breaks it for them. And then he gives it to them. And in the act of breaking and giving, suddenly their eyes crystallize. They, they come into focus and they see who he is for the first time. And it's interesting, when you see Jesus and he's got food, he always does the same routine. It's really interesting. He takes the bread, he blesses it, and he breaks it, and then he gives it. Every time. Every time, even when it's not communion, communion, he does this. He does this with everyone he ever sits with. When he feeds the 5,000, he takes it, he blesses it, he breaks it, he gives it. When he has breakfast with Peter, remember that? Beautiful story of restoration, blessing, communion. He takes the food, he blesses it, he breaks it. He gives it. And it's always after that sequence of events that people start to see Jesus. In the taking stage, he begins to snatch us. And Jesus snatched you at some point. You didn't find Jesus. You didn't grab a hold of Jesus. You didn't snatch Jesus. Oh, no, he got you. And he removes us from our worldly thinking. He removes us from our lifestyle. One of the most interesting things that somebody ever told me about leading people to Jesus was simply this. Have them belong before they believe. I am so proud of some of the young men and women in our youth and young adults. Do you know why? Because we have atheists and agnostics who have been attending our church for months. Now, you might say, Ryan, time to get some altar calls going. Yeah, we do. They don't come down. Ryan, maybe you want to be a better preacher. I can't be a better preacher. I'm whatever, right? So here's the deal. They're going to come to Jesus when Jesus comes to them. They're going to get a hold of Jesus after Jesus gets a hold of them. I'm not telling them to stop doing drugs. I'm not telling them not to smoke cigarettes. I tell everybody that stuff. But I don't drill down on them. Hey, 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 brother, before you want to belong, you got to believe. Oh, no, the reverse is true. Somebody told me this, and it stuck with me my whole life. People want to belong before they believe. Think about it. Think about it. What person of another religion besides Christianity could come up you, to you today? Today. You're at lunch. Somebody comes up to you and says... Hey, Mike, your name is Mike, right? I'd like to tell you about my Lord and Savior, Muhammad. Now, what string of words, okay, let's say I'm, let's say I'm a Muslim. Let's, let's really think about this. What string of words, what words could I put together? Mike, how long have you been serving Jesus? All his life, all 24 years of his life, he's been serving Jesus. Come on, high five that. You know you like that. All right. What string of words? What sentence could any Muslim ever put together that would go, hey, I'm going to tell you about Muhammad, and at the end of this, what, 10-minute conversation? Could, could I talk for a, a day, a week, a year? What could I possibly say that would make you stop believing in Jesus and start believing in Muhammad as your Lord and Savior? Anything? Nothing. Nothing? Nothing. Why? Because he belongs to Jesus. Oh, he believes in Jesus, obviously. But he belongs with Jesus first. And you can't fight that. You can't fight that. I, I, I was a terrible apologist. This guy sat down with me at 18 years old, and I don't know how old he was, and dismantled me. You know why? Because I don't remember his first name. Why is that important? Because I didn't let him belong in our circle of conversation. Our friend, I don't know what his name was. Like shame on me, trying to convert this atheist without figuring out and remembering what his name was. Does that make sense? So we have youth and young adults who show up and they're like, I don't know about Jesus, but I do like you guys. And I really like dodgeball. And I'm okay with that. Why? Because I don't get a notch in the belt. 
when Steve comes to Jesus. I don't get a notch in the belt when Janice comes to Jesus. I don't, I'm not taking their souls to heaven in a big old basket. I just know that at some point, Julie and I spend our, our time on our knees in prayer. I just know at some point, God's going to get a hold of Steve. Just like he did you. Just like he did me. God's going to take Steve. Once he takes him, he's going to bless him. Dedicate him to God. Yes, we dedicate babies, and I love that. But for the same reason we don't baptize babies, we just say, God, we want this baby to grow up a follower of Christ. God, get a hold of Jack and Logan. Oh, God, please. At a certain point, he will. I just know he's good for it. But I also know that like the bread, and like every Christian ever, God is going to take Jack and Logan through another stage. Breaking. He's going to break them. He's broken me. Continues to break me. And will be breaking me further. Tomorrow morning, I'm flying out to be with my grandpa's uh, family, my whole side of that family. Um, uh, Big Al passed away, my grandpa. And so I'm going to be with them. And, and it's a broken period. We're all broken. But guess who's going to be there? Aunt Karen. And I have got my eye on her. She in trouble. She and I have been praying down the taking stage on Aunt Karen. I, yeah, I hope you're watching, Aunt Karen. I know I'm going to show this to you when you become a Christian. I have been praying that down on that woman since I was a little kid. Before I even understood what prayer was, my parents led me in a prayer. And God, I just pray that Aunt Karen would come to know you and love Jesus. Amen. Sometimes as a little kid, you know how that is. Sometimes as a little kid, hey Ryan, do you want to pray for dinner? Yeah, I want to pray for dinner. Dear Lord, get a hold of Aunt Karen in Jesus' name. Amen. And dad would go, and bless the food. And mom would go, hey, I made that. You know, and, and, and I have been praying for this woman my entire life. She married a guy. Uh oh, Uncle Alex, you in trouble too. Just guilt by association. I'm going to pray for both of you. And I've been praying for both of them since 87. God's going to get a hold of them. God's going to get a hold of her. I mourn. I'm going to mourn. I will be traveling on an airplane to mourn with my family and friends. Everybody loves Big Al. He's hilarious. If you were at our wedding, he's awesome. He's bigger than me, Big Al. But I'm excited for the opportunity that God has for snatching Aunt Karen, getting a hold of her life, breaking there's going to come a time for Aunt Karen where God's going to break that pride. Why? Because he loves her. Because he loves me. When you're broken, you are proven. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're a daughter. You're a son. You're a son. Why? Because I break it. I, 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 I know it can take years to go through the breaking stage. Teenagers, listen to me. You will learn more in the breaking stages of your life than you will in the blessing stages. You will grow more in your pain than you will ever learn in your pleasure. God gives you pleasure to get through the pain. He gives you endorphins to get past the run. But the run's important, not feeling good and all that after stretching out. God will take you guys, uh, young adults, God will take you guys through breaking periods way past what you think you can handle. Why? Because when you're going to break something, it is more than you can handle by yourself. Amen? And all the broken people are like, mm, hmm. But God is good. He is good. God is good all the time, we used to say all the time. And all the time? That's yeah, not in the Bible either, but that's okay, it's fun to say. Not that phrase, you know. Here's the deal. The breaking period, the after image of Jesus is what gets you through that. And then the giving stage. Once you are broken, once you are reformed, once you are put into a place, then God goes, now I use you. I have no idea what happened to Cleopas. I have no idea. But I do know that because you and I are reading about that, that Cleopas' life was a ministry to us today. Oh, and for the thousands of years that people have been talking about Cleopas and been encouraged by Cleopas and his band of merry men, and maybe women. Think about it. 
His whole life could have been only for that moment at which Jesus told us an impressively amazing story about his goodness and grace and pointed towards Jesus. How Jesus loves even the background extras in the movie of the Bible. The disciples didn't recognize Jesus on the seashore. Thomas didn't recognize Jesus until he touched him with his own eyes and hands. Mary Magdalene thought he was the gardener. Revelation 5 says, Bearing marks of his past death wounds, he was standing, though bearing the marks of one slain. And Isaiah 52 says, At first, everyone was appalled. He didn't even look human. A ruined face, disfigured past Recognition. The giving stage is when we fully recognize Jesus, but never before. Never before. Don't rush past your breaking page. Don't, don't rush past the stage where God takes that loved one in your life. Maybe you've got a son who is away from God. And I, I know many parents in here have said, hey, pray for... And I have. Hey, text, call, and I have. But I'll tell you what. I can't take them to Jesus, and neither can you. You can take them before Jesus, though, in the act of intercession. And if you're not doing that, like, please start. But don't rush the process. Oh, I think God's got it out for Aunt Karen. I don't think he would have had me pray this long. I think he's got it out for her. Pray for her this Monday. I'm going to tell her all about Jesus. I'm going to unfold it from Moses through the prophets. No, I'm not that smart. I'm just going to tell her Jesus loves you. Quit being dumb. I love you. But you know what? If it doesn't happen this weekend, I haven't prayed this long just to quit. You, you persevere. You push. You push. Well, let's end here. Let's pray. Close your eyes all over this place if you would. I have two questions for you. I have two questions for you. How many of you would say, Ryan, uh, I am in a breaking stage. I, I, I want to rush through. I, I am in a breaking stage. There, when you were talking about bread being broken... I feel like Jesus is breaking things in my life, or I feel like things just are breaking, and I, I don't know if it's Jesus or not, but I just need, need the power of Christ in this situation. I need to persevere. might be health. You might be, you might be breaking in your health. Your body literally might be breaking down. It, it might be marriage. It might be relationship, family. It might be finances, and you're breaking the bank. It could be a way where you, you don't even want to talk about it. It's so painful even just to acknowledge it, to think about it. And you're just like, it, I'm breaking, Ryan. Suffice to say, I'm breaking. What I want for a response is really simple. Because Jesus didn't say, hey, raise your hand. He called people. I want you just to stand up right where you're at and say, I need prayer. If, if you can stand and you're in the breaking page, if, uh, if standing's a little tough right now, you could just put your hand up. But we, we want to uh, uh, recognize who you are. Just stand to your feet. The second one is you say, Ryan, I need God to take some soul. I need Jesus to snatch out of the, the grasp of Satan a soul. My son, my daughter, my aunt, my uncle, my friend, my co-worker. I need God to snatch somebody and I, I, just, I just need that to happen so bad. I need it to happen. I want you to stand to your feet right now. Yeah, there's a lot of us. If that's not you and either of those, we celebrate with you that you're not going through a bad place right now. We celebrate with you that, that the people in your life are following Christ. Now, don't feel bad if you're just sitting and, and relaxing right now. What your job is going to be is you're going you're gonna to pray. You're going to pray for one another. And, and we're not going to come down to the front. What we're going to do is, is we're going to go to one another in the body of Christ. So everybody just open your eyes, if you will.
We are followers of Jesus. Elders, I want you just to, to, to move around. Pastors and deacons, move around and pray. And, and the rest of you, wherever you're at, I want you to look around. If you both are standing, put an arm around one another. If there's more than one of you, put your arm around one, then pray for the other and move around. Okay, right now, go. I'll, I'll lead, you pray. I'll lead, you pray. And what I'm going to do is we're going to be honest with each other. So often we have like unspoken requests or just pray a general prayer. No, 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 no. I want you to ask them, hey, what are you praying about? Hey, how can I pray for you? My adult leaders for youth, come down to the youth and pray with them. Uh, uh, young adult leaders, pray for one another. Uh, young marrieds, pray for one another. Different classes, pray for one another. Different interest groups, heart to heart, pray for one another. Ask them, real quick, just take 30 seconds. What's breaking? What do you need? We'll do 20 more seconds and then we'll pray together. standing alone. That's not what prayer is about. Prayer is never standing alone. Alright, let's pray. Out loud. Nice and loud, you begin to just pray in Jesus' name. God, we just pray right now. Every need. Every need. God, move. Move, God. Move in their hearts. Move in their lives. move. Help them through the breaking period. God, give them strength in Jesus' name.